One of the greatest obstacles to crafting health and wellness is identifying and controlling inflammation. It's at the core of all complex and chronic diseases, and it's the driving mechanism that underlies the most common symptoms that people like you struggle to overcome. Join us as we explore cutting-edge science and research to give you the information and tools you need to create the quality of life you want and deserve. And now, here is the host of Inflammation Nation, Dr. Stephen Nosworthy. Hey guys, and welcome back to Inflammation Nation. Just want to make a note that I am uh, recording in my sister's dining room today. We're still visiting family and traveling and on the road, and so I don't have my normal uh, studio set up and quality mic. So apologize if the audio doesn't come through as clean as it, it usually does. So at the end of our last chat, I teased you with the idea that salivary adrenal testing tells us more about the communication from your brain to the adrenals than it does about your adrenal gland itself. And let me explain that further. And, and to do that, I need to go back to where this whole idea of measuring your stress responses began, and that was somewhere back around the 1950s with a man named Hans Selye. Now, Selye was an interesting character. He was born in Vienna, Austria in 1907. He was educated in a Benedictine monastery, uh, mostly with private tutors. And by the age of four, he spoke four languages, and he went on to learn several more. And he got his first degree, a medical degree, in Prague, Czechoslovakia, and then he got a PhD in organic chemistry, which he started at Johns Hopkins University, but uh, was convinced by some friends and colleagues to finish at McGill University, which is in Montreal. By the age of 27, he had become an assistant professor of biochemistry. So the story goes that Selye was the first researcher to recognize that many people who were sick with different conditions shared common symptoms and he called it the syndrome of being sick. And this was a, pretty much a revolution for the time because up until Selye formulated his stress theory, medical students were taught that they could diagnose specific diseases strictly by looking at their presenting signs and symptoms, which would vary from disease to disease. But no one had connected the dots that all sick people, regardless of their condition, shared things. Things like looking tired, having no appetite, uh, losing weight, preferring to lie down rather than stand, or just simply not being in the mood to go to work or to do anything. And again, Selye called this the syndrome of being sick. And he began to unravel the particulars when during his fellowship or his postdoctoral work at McGill University, uh, he was tasked with identifying several female hormones that had yet been discovered. And what he did was he was, he was given... Um, carcasses of, of cows and ovary samples. But most of his work involved injecting various toxins into rats and then autopsying them. And what he found was some common themes. He found that the adrenal glands were hypertrophied, meaning that they had grown larger than glands from rats who hadn't received the injections. But they also had atrophy of their thymus gland and their lymphatic system which is involved in your immune system and immune responses. And, and on top of that, they all had ulcers in their stomachs or in the upper part of the small intestine called the duodenum. And it didn't matter which toxin he injected, every single rat and their core systems all responded the same way. 
So he then decide, designed some experiments where he put rats into stressful situations. He didn't inject them. He just put them under stress. And the findings were exactly the same. Adrenal hyperactivity, lymphatic atrophy, and what we call peptic ulcers. And through his research, Selye was able to distinguish between um, how the adrenal system responds to short-lived acute stressors versus stress that is chronic and prolonged, which is what most of us are under. And he divided the latter, the chronic stress response, into um, three different stages. And he called this the general adaptation system or syndrome, sorry, general adaptation syndrome. And so those three stages of adrenal responses to chronic stress are stage number one, what we call alarm reaction, stage number two, resistance, and stage number three, exhaustion. And this is where the concept of adrenal fatigue or adrenal exhaustion comes from. It's not from some wackadoodle fringe dwelling natural doctor. Um, they didn't come up with that. It's, it's from the work of the one of the most celebrated doctors and researchers of modern time. And in fact, Selye's work had such an impact on medical science that his image appears on a Canadian commemorative stamp back in 2000, which showed him in his lab uh, with a graph of the three different phases of the general adaptation syndrome and the molecular structure of cortisol, your primary stress hormone, as overlays. But honestly, his life wasn't just a bed of roses, kind of ironic, but he was married and divorced three different times. And when he died in 1982 at the age of 75, it was revealed that much of his funding for his research over the years had come from the tobacco industry. And it turns out that he participated in a lot of tobacco research and he was involved in many marketing campaigns promoting smoking as part of a healthy lifestyle. So as we all know, nobody's perfect. But the good side of his work and his story brought us knowledge of the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis and an introductory understanding of how chronic stress causes the release of neurotransmitters and hormones both from the brain as well as from the adrenal gland itself, which all work together to mediate the effects of stress. But there's one aspect of the general adaptation syndrome that has turned out to not be correct, and that is the expectation that everyone responds to chronic stress in a predictable manner, which looks like this. And remember, we, he divided this into three different stages. So we're just going from stage one to stage two and stage three. And so the first response would be a predictable alarm reaction where under stress, both cortisol and another stress hormone from the adrenals called DHEA, both elevate. That's the alarm response. Both go high. But if stress continues, because normally with acute stressors, the stress comes in, our body responds by making stress hormones, and then the stress goes away and those hormones come back down. That would be transient or what we call acute stress responses. But if the stress continues, Eventually, this gives way to the resistance stage, stage two, where the system adapts to the ongoing stress by diverting raw materials to make all of your steroid-based hormones into the chemical pathway that makes cortisol. So it's, it's characterized by having a normal cortisol level, but lower levels of DHEA and sometimes even all of your reproductive or some or all of the reproductive hormones. And this is what we call commonly called adrenal fatigue, and part of that could be called what's, uh, and we've talked about this in other episodes, talking about the pregnenolone steel. Now, if stress continues and we progress into stage three, 
which it does typically, like stress continues when you have these chronic health complaints, you, you always have the chronic stressors of being unwell. But then eventually the system crashes and you're not just compromising your reproductive hormones or DHEA, you can't make enough cortisol either. Hence the idea that the, sim the system simply becomes exhausted. And this is what Selye said, is that in every case with chronic illness, there is this predictable progression from stage one to stage two to stage three. But we are almost 70 years now from when Selye wrote his seminal book on stress, which I believe was 1956, somewhere around there. And we've learned a few things that he hadn't discovered, like how someone doesn't have to progress in this predetermined sequence of alarm reaction to resistance to exhaustion, the way that Selye had laid it out. Again, let's call them stage one, two, and three. The truth is, is that you can, you can get stuck in stage one and, and really never progress to stage two and simply have ongoing increased production, elevated levels of cortisol and DHEA without the system ever starting to fatigue, for lack of a better way of saying it. And these chronically elevated stress hormones can wreak havoc on other systems and in health in general. Remember, the system is designed to deal efficiently with acute stressors, meaning we get an acute stressor, our body responds by making stress hormones, stressor gets resolved, and then the hormones go back to baseline. The reality is also that you can go straight from stage one, this acute alarm reaction, to full-blown stage three exhaustion without ever passing through stage two or this transitional zone that Selye called the resistance phase. And, and so the progression through stages is not as neat and orderly as Selye had laid out for us. Now, additionally, the amount of cortisol that you produce in any given situation is actually dictated by nerve cells or neurons in a part of the brain called the hypothalamus, not your adrenal gland, right? If that part of the brain perceives more or less stress or is otherwise more or less stimulated, it will send either stronger or weaker signals to the adrenal gland to make more or less cortisol. In other words, the, the instructions that the adrenal glands respond to and use to know how much cortisol to make actually comes from your brain. So instead of seeing someone who has low total, total cortisol as being in the exhaustion stage, we now understand that this means that the control center in the brain that initiates stress responses is being understimulated or it's being uh, inhibited in some way, which can happen with chronic stress, with chronic inflammation, even changes in things like hormones or certain neurotransmitters, as well as patterns of blood sugar dysregulation, whether that be reactive hypoglycemia or whether that is something like insulin resistance. So it turns out that the quantity of cortisol production is a matter of brain health and not adrenal gland status. And I've said before that anytime there is an adrenal dysfunction, it is always, 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 always secondary to something else. And it's similar for what we call the circadian rhythm. Remember that cortisol is naturally higher in the morning and it tapers to nighttime to facilitate waking up and having energy and focus in the morning, but reversing that pattern so that cortisol is low at, is low at night so we can shut down our brain gets less active, our energy goes down so that we can go to sleep and then start the repair and recovery process from whatever our daily activities were. 
And the circadian rhythm is also not generated by your adrenal glands, but by another part of your brain called the hippocampus. And it turns out that this hippocampus, which generates the quality of your circadian rhythm, is damaged under conditions of severe or chronic stress. And it's sensitive to things like chronic and systemic inflammation. It also turns out that the hippocampal structure is um, responsible for memory formation, which is why so many people who are chronically stressed and inflamed and otherwise not healthy complain of poor short-term memory and, and worry that in some cases that they're getting early forms of dementia. It's usually not. It's usually the effects of chronic stress or inflammation and metabolic challenges and how your brain forms memory, and it's usually completely reversible. Now, there are a couple of other aspects of the adrenal system that are worth mentioning, but honestly, they're a little bit too complex to get into in this setting, um, too complex in their operation, and it's just not worth going into the details because we'll get lost in the weeds on that. But suffice it to say that other aspects of your adrenal system control how easy it is to trigger a stress response and dictate how long that lasts. So we have quantity, how much cortisol you make or don't make. We have the circadian rhythm, which is the pattern of making more in the morning and less as we get towards nighttime. But there, again, there's this, these other two elements to how the system works, and that is how easy it is, it, is it to trigger a stress response and how long does the stress response last? Because what you don't want is to have significant stress responses from trivial triggers. And once a stress response is initiated, you don't want it to last for very long because that's where part of the damage comes in. So people who, for example, frighten easily, who are stressed out by lots of sounds and lights and just general commotion tend to be on the worse end of this adrenal dysfunction spectrum than someone who can handle lights and sounds and commotion, especially if it takes them a long time to calm down after they get stressed out. Here's an example. Pretty much every one of us is gonna get some, some degree of fright or response if we turn a corner and there's some prankster waiting there that yells boo, right? And, but while one person will react almost imperceptibly, almost as if they didn't hear the person. Someone else might literally scream and jump out of their skin and get heart palpitations. And the person who barely jumps at all may be perfectly fine two minutes later, while the other person who had that more magnified response is still freaked out a couple of hours later. They're still feeling the effects of that. Say that you go to a busy shopping mall. Uh, Christmas is probably the best example with the crowds and the noise and the lights. And, and let's say that you go there, but you're gonna only handle that environment for a short period of time because the lights and the sounds and the commotion of the crowd bother you. They make you feel stressed. Maybe you get some kind of an overt symptom other than feeling stressed. It could be a migraine, it could be anything. If that's the case, then you're further down this adrenal dysfunction and stress spectrum than someone who can go Christmas shopping for hours on end and come home still with a smile on their face. The difficulty is that when you get to the point where your stress system is so jacked up and the least little bit of stress creates a large response that takes forever to calm down, is that this often means that you have developed plasticity in your stress system and you've just become good at being stressed. In other words, because of how your stress system 
adapts and behaves and learns over time while under chronic stress, inflammation, and being unwell, the outcome of that is you become very good at being stressed and inflamed. That's the unfortunate side of how the system is designed. And, and the only way to handle or to get a handle on what that looks like physiologically and what that means in terms of how to unwind it all is to have some insights into general physiology, like having the right blood labs to look at the core underlying mechanisms that represent physiological stresses to your system. And then to look at your salivary adrenal profile to see where you are in this scope of adrenal dysfunction. Being able to define how much cortisol you're making, what your circadian rhythm looks like, and then looking to your history to see evidence for, um, for this heightened stress response where you startle easily and it takes you forever to calm down. Obviously, there's no lab test for that. That's just something that we can just ask questions of somebody and say, is this true or is this not true? But either way, we have to let go of this more simplistic idea of adrenal fatigue and focus on the broader system and its multiple dimensions, including what these tests mean for brain health. And so as good as Hans Selye's contribution was, again, we're about 70 years down the road and we know more stuff, things that he couldn't have figured out because sometimes even the technology needed didn't exist. Right, so that wraps number two on my list of labs that I would spend my own money on. So we started with blood labs, and now we just talked about salivary adrenal testing and hopefully you understand why it's important to have a handle on that, particularly if you suffer from chronic health complaints. Next time that we meet, we'll talk about number three on my list, which is a good stool test. All right, take care. We'll see you in the next time on the Inflammation Nation. Thank you so much for listening to the Inflammation Nation. If you found this episode valuable, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast. Be the first to know when a new episode drops so that you can stay on top of your game. It also helps others like you find the answers they need. And why not head over to my main website, drnoseworthy.com, that's drnoseworthy.com, to explore my personalized functional medicine coaching programs, submit a question to the podcast, maybe take a quiz, or even reach out to me using the contact form that you can find there. We'll see you next time.